3: Abuelita, my father, my whole family, and Grand Canyon University made me the man I am today. I think I'm going to do Grand Canyon University's online program and get my master's degree. I uh, have an announcement to make, so I'm going to get my master's degree online at Grand Canyon University.
2: Find your purpose at GCU. It's the bluest room in town Yeah, they're actually funny
0: It is the weekly show here on the Blue Room. Hope everybody's doing well. Looking forward to the end of the international break and the toffees being back on Monday. It's an utterly grim day here in Liverpool today. One of those days that makes Hamas Rodriguez, I imagine, all the more pleased that he stayed at Everton for the time being, at least. We'll come on to talk about him in a minute. Uh, First of all, our guest, Sarah Halpin, joins us. Sarah, how are you? Yeah,
1: not bad, thank you, mate. Like you said, other than the weather, it's a bit of a madness at the moment, but uh yeah. Shocking. Talking. Shocking.
0: Shocking. Looking forward to the test match tomorrow at Old Trafford anyway. Um, that should be an interesting one. Uh, uh, Les joins us as well, as you can see, having a, a sip on his mate there. How are you doing, mate? I'm all
3: right, mate. I've actually got a word for you. So do you know the way the rain is just like just thrown itself down from nowhere? Hmm. Known as a thunder plump. A thunder plump? Yeah, it's a 19th century word from Scotland and Northern Ireland to describe a heavy thundery shower that seems to come from nowhere and soaks you in seconds. There you go.
1: We there just we go. got the show right there. <laughs> Education.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly got the show title anyway. Uh, I think I was, I was like a, it's a word that could be related to Everton quite a lot of the time, doesn't it? Uh, and also joining us as well, uh, probably the man who started off this South American trend and South American influence on the Blue Room is Alan Vahili, who joins us from Brazil. How are you doing, mate?
2: Yeah, all good. It's definitely um, a bit harder here. hear bit, bit, bit Yeah. It's definitely a bit harder here than it is in the L four, I think. But um, I got like mild sunstroke at the beginning of the week, like so. Uh, I wouldn't mind a bit of bit of cloud at the moment, you know. But um, but yeah, all's good here anyway. Looking forward to talking about the the for the next hour or so.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We will be speaking about uh, what's been going on during the international break and primarily Rodriguez, as, as I mentioned, there uh, back in training today. He's got off his yacht in Ibiza, um, and he's back with the Blues. He's working hard, hopefully, be involved on Monday night against Burnley. Um, of course, we will look forward to that game as well. But a couple of things that to start off with. We'll, we'll get the disappointment out the way first. Um, Sarah, I'll come to you on this one, unfortunately. Uh, the girls at the weekend, so much excitement going into a new season. Obviously, everyone was at Goodison Park, willing them I to do really well, really interested in the game against Manchester City. and You know, to no point dressing it up as, as anything other than it was. It was a bit of a disaster start to, to the season for them, wasn't it? Um, I mean, speaking to the girls this week and... You know, knowing them as you do, what, what in particular do they think went wrong on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so disappointing. I think the fact it was at Goodison Park as well, as you said, and we've sort of hyped it up, trying to get people to come down and, and support the girls and really happy with the turnout as well. And the fans were absolutely fantastic, um, as expected. But yeah, massively disappointing, to, obviously, to lose 4-0. I think City scored three goals in 12 minutes. Um and I'd say for those first three goals, it's fair to say it's disappointing in terms of the way that we were dispossessed, um, probably quite cheap goals to give away. And going three at the back, I think City just absolutely utilised on that. And you saw they were attacking us down our right-hand side, um, large parts of that first half. And we just couldn't get ourselves back in the game. I think when the manager changed it um, in the second half, changed the formation a bit and and made a few substitutions. Second half, we looked a lot better again. You know, there were times in the first half where we could have taken the lead, and then it all just kind of uh, fell apart. So bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Um, and we haven't got it any easier. We got Chelsea up next away this weekend. But the girls are the girls are gutted. You know, I think they're gutted for the fans as well that came out and stuff. But you know, it's it's one game. There's a, a long way in the season to go, and I think it took us all a little bit by surprise. They're all a little bit shell shocked by it. Didn't see that coming. Uh, genuinely thought we had a good chance of beating them, so um, I think we can expect to see a response. Definitely,
0: was it just one of those sort of things where you know there were a lot of things that, that could have gone wrong that ultimately did go wrong. Obviously, being back at Goodison Park for them again after a while, and the expectation, the change of system as you mentioned. I think there's been 13 new players come in this this summer. Is is, is that right as well? You know, there's a there's a lot of new faces there, and ultimately they're playing an opponent who I imagine are expected to challenge for the title this season. Obviously, they got knocked out the Champions League last night, but have been in European contention for, for a while. Was it just one of those things where everything that could have gone wrong really did go wrong for them?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, like you said, the, the system ultimately, on the day, um, City managed to hone in on that, where our, our weak spots were. And um, they really capitalised on that. And, and they will be ruthless when they need to be. And I think, yeah, we just probably lost our heads a little bit, lost our way in the game a little bit when we conceded the goals so quickly and then the occasion itself, you know, it's a great thing to play at Goodison Park, but maybe even that, the fact we've got so many new people bedding in as well, as you said, and, you know, watch the girls pre-season, five out of five wins, obviously different level of um, opponent when you play in Manchester City, but genuinely went into that with, with high expectations and thinking that we could cause an upset. So yeah, it is, it's a bit of a shock. And I think, It is one of those days where, you know, we need to not dwell on it too much. I think take it in, look where we've gone wrong, Um, but try not to dwell on it too much and bounce back because the players that have come in as well, we've got winners in that squad, you know, uh, real winners that have played at the top levels in different leagues across Europe and represented their countries and stuff. So hopefully, you know, we've lost one, let's not lose another um, and let's hope that the, the girls bounce back strong.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's, it's one of them, Les. I mean, I don't know how many of the, how much of the game you saw at the weekend, but I suppose if you're integrating new players and you're trying to set up with a new system, then in a way you sort of want to get those hard games out the way early on, don't you, when you're playing the the, the better sides. And, you know, while the, the you know the girls might have to take a bit of short-term pain in regards to the results and the quality of the opposition that they're taking, hopefully that the payoff will be the, when they're playing you know, easier teams and less talented teams later in the season they are a bit more settled and a bit more acclimatised with each other that they can, they can really kick on then.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think it's the weird thing, isn't it, Sarah? said playing the five or the three or the five at the back, however you, however you want to say it, it automatically seems like well, that will make you more solidly defensively, but it doesn't always work like that. I think I've said it before where uh, the men's team have done it. It's, it's a system that you've really got to work at and everyone has got to be dead comfortable in what they do else it can leave big holes all over the pitch. Although you've got more centre-backs in there, it doesn't always work defensively as well as it might do if, it, if it's a system that you're always using and you dad used to. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, a little bit depressing. That it looks like the women's game going a little bit the same way as the men's game is the fact that you're going to have these elite teams up the top all the time and they're going to be dishing out hiding sort of every now and then. It's just you can't get too hysterical about an opening day result. It's, you know, mad, mad things happen on the opening day. City might not stick four past another team. Everton might not concede four again it's just one of those results. And as you say, if it's three goals in 12 minutes, it happens so often that, especially like sort of the really, really good teams, they can punish you and just put the game to bed quickly. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of lessons will be learned from that, but it's one of them where you, you can't go too hysterical because it's it's not the end of the world. It's, you know, it's a good hiding by a good team. It happens. Just move on to the next one. Sad that it is Chelsea because they're another good team, as you said. But, you know, you, you've got to face these teams. As you said, Matt, if you've got players than in, Get this out the way early doors and then
0: crack on with the rest of the season. Yeah, fingers crossed that you can do that anyway. But yeah, like Les Ancerna said, Chelsea away at the weekend is a bit of a nightmare fixture for them with that in mind. Um, the other story I want to speak about before we start looking ahead and looking at training um, is obviously what's going on with Brazil and Brazil's plays at the moment. And I think I put on Twitter yesterday that I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that... Evertonian, Alavahili, rocks up in Brazil and all of a sudden the toffees are getting preferential treatments from the Brazilian Football Federation. All the players are getting banned from all the top clubs uh, who've not sent their players in international duty. But Richarlison is absolutely silent to keep playing. Um, Alan, good to know that the uh, Brazilian Football Federation, uh, you, well, you've got their year so, so soon on your, on your move to Brazil already.
2: Um, yeah, I know It's it's funny to be fair. I mean, like, I'm enjoying seeing all the Liverpool fans getting quite angry at the fact that richarlison to give given the pass when they're getting penalised and their clubs are getting penalised. But, um, but I think it's only fair. I mean, like Everton took a risk by allowing Richardson to go and play at the Olympics with Brazil. And um, obviously there's complex reasons behind their decision to do that, partly from a lack of power, you could say, in terms of their position with Richarlison, in that they wanted to keep him happy, keep him content, to, force, to kind of prevent him from forcing him to move away. Um, but it's paid back now in dividends, you know. I mean, that's quite a complicated political situation, as you saw what happened on Sunday uh, between Brazil and Argentina, when um, the, the Brazilian health officials came onto the pitch to basically deport two of the Argentine players who were on the pitch. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of a complicated week at the moment in, in Brazilian politics and Brazilian football because, like, on Tuesday there was these massive demonstrations um, in favor of the of the incumbent president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, is kind of a far-right president. And there was also manifestations against him as well simultaneously. So there was nothing happened in the end. There was large demonstrations and stuff, but there was kind of a bit of tension beforehand that something could happen um, because, you know, there is different kind of quite extreme factions in both parties. So that happening on Tuesday with the Match happening on Sunday, it just kind of spoke to this crazy week of Brazilian politics. And and the Brazilian Football Federation, too, is kind of very much tied into Brazilian politics, evidenced by their decision to host the Copa America last summer, even though that they didn't have the, the COVID safety, you could say, to do it. So their reason for that is, is, is purely political posturing, basically, trying to get back at the Premier League for not allowing the Premier League to release those players in the first place. But because Everton had done that, with Richardson for the Olympics, they realise that their relationship with them is good, and obviously we've Alan as well, and you know who knows maybe somebody like Matthias Cunha coming in the near future too, giving us stacked Atletico Madrid's front are at the moment. But um, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's funny to be fair. It's nice to see a bit of a good relationship between the Brazilian FA and everything. So what's the reaction
0: to this whole thing been like over there? Because like you said, obviously the top clubs over here are, are kicking off a bar at Liverpool in particular. Because I think. They're going to be we'll about three players for the game against Leeds, which is more than than anybody else. But I suppose this is more of a, a FIFA thing, isn't it, than a Brazilian Football Federation thing?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of, it's mixed because there's a lot of embarrassment here about what happened on Sunday because the farce of it, like, it was just, like, next level. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the whole thing with the banning Premier League players is kind of flown by the wayside a bit because the main focus has been on last Sunday's events and then also on Tuesday as well. Um, so it's kind of not really made that much headway here, you could say. But um, I guess it's just pure vindictiveness, really, isn't it? Like, I mean, they're just kind of striking back because they weren't allowed to release the players, even though Argentina did. And then they just broke the rules and did it anyway. I, I don't know. It's got a very complex, intense situation. But uh, But yeah.
0: They were amazing scenes then, weren't they, sir, at the weekend in that Brazil or Argentina game? I mean, have you ever seen anything? Probably ever seen anything quite like that since Ana Valencia you got chased around the pitch all those years ago um, by, by the officials in Ecuador?
1: <laughs> that's it. I love a bit of madness, though me. Look, <laughs> though. me, I'd have been right in there in amongst the action. I'm trying to think of anything like that that's happened at Goodison Park, maybe. The the most exciting thing in recent history was probably the the black cat that got on the pitch in the Wolves game when we were three one down.
0: <laughs> I remember that fella coming on the pitch and handcuffing himself to the post. I mean, that was in the <laughs> game against C- that Darry Gibson game against City. He came on the pitch and handcuffed himself to the post. I don't know what <laughs> he, I didn't. I know <laughs> he was protesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, See,
1: absolute scenes.
0: Yeah, but it was mad, wasn't it? I mean, I'm sort of half expecting Les on Monday when Michalos lines lines for someone to come on. The pitch is good, or to say no, you are allowed. O- off you come.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, this is going way too well for us. <laughs> <laughs> I've absolutely no doubt that by tomorrow night it will have all been turned on its head, and Liverpool will have their three players in, and Richarlison will be banned. I've got, I've got no confidence that this will be seen through to the end. I don't know if it affects worse. Though looking at the Reds, I don't know if it affects them worse with those three players or Leeds losing Rafinha. Yeah. That's a massive loss for them, isn't it?
0: I think Firmino's already injured, isn't he, as well, so yeah, he wouldn't have, no. wouldn't have been playing anyway, but it's I mean, just—it's no, a weird situation though, isn't it? I mean, in all seriousness, it's something that, that has to be resolved going forward, doesn't it? Because there's going to be more international breaks, there's going to be changing situations around the world in regards to COVID, and it just feels like just better dialogues needed between federations and with football clubs.
3: Yeah, it would sort of been a bit of a, a state of... Um, Flux with it all at the minute, aren't we? Because, I mean, in the UK, it's not here anymore, apparently, or it seems that way. That's how it sort of feels. Everything's gone properly back to normal. So you're kind of looking for other countries having different experiences with it. It's, yeah, something needs to be done to give, like, a framework so everyone knows the score and everyone sort of adheres to certain rules. But, yeah, I mean, logistically, it must be a nightmare for, for everyone involved. As I say, though it is, it is nice that Everton have sort of come out smelling the roses for once. Very unusual.
2: Yeah, I reminded of the um, the Irish thing where I think it was the instance over James McCarthy. Remember with Ronald Cooman and Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill. I think it's always going to be a thing where it's kind of almost personalities and just power clashes because there's inevitable tension between club clubs uh, players who belong to clubs and players who want to play for their countries. Like people were saying to me recently about the Brazilian players and how they want to um, they'll be annoyed with the Brazilian FA for the way they've handled this and they they won't be as willing to kind of you know fight for the shirt when they return. But like that's complete nonsense. Like they, like for Brazilian players, for Argentinian players, their number one priority is their country. Make no doubt about it. Like Lila Messi now isn't a PSG player, he's an Argentina player who's also playing for PSG. Like his priority is completely shift to, to Argentina. Do you know what I mean? that's just the nature of it is for those guys. Like, so I think when you're a club, you have to be mindful of that and not push your luck with players, whether it's, you know, with James McCarthy or with Richardison or whoever, you know, because um, like for most of these players and also the players you want really are the players who are wanting to, you know, really give it all for the country. Like, you know, so I think it's an inevitable situation, inevitable, um, especially with so much money in the game, but it's something you have to manage kind of carefully, you know?
0: Yeah, I think McCarthy turned up for Ireland on crutches a few times, didn't he? The Martin O'Neill yeah. so so intense on on um, on calling him up. But, but we'll stick with you, Alan. You know, you, you mentioned the the Ireland setup there, and unfortunately, one of one of our players who went away with Ireland who we're very reliant upon now, Seamus Coleman, has has come back to Finch Farm injured um, just a couple of days after Everton failed to sign any kind of backup or or any kind of competition for him. Uh, played looked like he played pretty well in in both the games as well, but. You know, this is this is ultimately Everton suffering, you know, the consequences of their actions, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. He was very good against Portugal, to be fair. He was kind of properly giving it to Cristiano, um, a couple of different running battles with him as well, like you know. Um, and he's by far the most experienced, no senior Irish professional in the camp, like without a doubt. He's the only one who's playing for uh, you know, I don't know, could we call ourselves the top Premier League club, but we're we're up there, you know. Top off. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's inevitable, though. I mean, like we don't plan properly. This is what happens, like Niels and Kunku going off on loan, leaving us a one senior left back with one senior right back, really, because John Joe Kenny, although he's a senior player, of course, like he's not counted on by the club. If they could have got rid of him this summer, they would have, you know. So I don't know what the story is. I think we could be going back to the days of playing four centre backs and a flat back four, to be honest with you. That seems to be the most likely situation um, from my perspective.
0: Yeah, I was speaking to, to Paddy in the week, Sarah, and he's sort of saying that the aside from Luca Dean, now that the next left back at the football club is fifteen years old. So <laughs> certainly not certainly not well covered there. But but just 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 on Seamus, I mean it's he's obviously had a great start to the season and you know you, you could talk about that and say how well he's played and, and how well he's sort of been leading the team in the early days of Rafael Benitez's tenure, but you just always get the sense of something like this is just around the corner with him, don't you? And I think it was reported earlier this week that the injury is not too serious, and he might be in contention for Burnley. But you know, it's just it's just a bit of a warning, isn't it, what potentially might might come with Seamus and potentially a bit of a warning that even if he's fit and available for every game this season, that we're going to have to manage his fitness and going to have to manage his minutes at times.
1: We are, and that you know, it is a massive problem. Like Alan's just said, one senior left back and one senior right back is is just not a way you want to go into the season. What this is. The fourth game of the league season so far and we're likely gonna well he could be fit I don't know but the chance there's every chance that he's not going to play uh, so already we're seeing this of course you know he is towards the last stage of latter stages of his career he is going to get niggles with injuries and you've got to manage as you said his, his minutes and, and his injuries as well this is not the the one you wanted to see, I remember seeing it pop up on my timeline and just thinking, oh gosh. So like you said, are we going to end up seeing throughout the season? We've got Ben Godfrey, you could do left back, Mason Holgate at right back potentially. Um, yeah, so four four centre-halves at the back. But yeah, certainly not the person you'd want to see injured. But again, this is what we were all worried about in this transfer window, that we didn't manage to get a right back over the line. We didn't manage to get a left back over the line. And we've seen a few of them go out as well. So it is a concern um, and yeah, we'll just have to, have to see what, what Rafa does with that now going forward.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting because like, you know, you can't really, I think in football, you can't buy potential too often, you can't be too clever in the transfer market because like, Lee's in Cuncun, for instance, I mean like, he needs game time to progress but he's not going to get into the team ahead of Lucas Dean but then, who do you have as a backup left back? It doesn't make any sense, you know what I mean? Like the best thing to do with fullbacks or any position really is what we did with Layton Baines and Luca Dean, bringing a top class left back who's going to eventually phase out the elder Lemon who've been holding the position for the last 10 years. That's what they should have done with Seamus Coleman. I know that's what they want to do, and that's what have been trying to, but it's not that easy because of you know, merely a myriad of reasons because of our financial situation, because of the lack of prestige we have at the moment, all that kind of thing. But like, if we brought in a, a right footed Luca Dean, He'd eventually phase out Seamus Coleman. Do you know what I mean? And then we'd be able to look at Seamus Coleman with the same affection we look at Leighton Baines. But because of Everton's ineptness in squad planning and squad building, they've let Seamus take the brunt of this abuse for not taking on a new right back. And they like, I mean, they brought in Gibel Sidibe. he fought him off, no bother. You know, they brought in John Joe Kenny, he's not getting near him, you know? Like it's not his fault that nobody better has come in. But a lot of Evertonians... It's almost like he's a scouser, you know. Like Tom Davies gets like undue criticism and, um, and and focus because he's kind of one of our own. So it's like you kind of wouldn't trust him in the same way you trust expensive foreign imports. It's the same thing with Seamus, you know. So I understand the need for a new right back, and I'd love a right-footed um, luca Dean. But like, it's not his fault that nobody's come in. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of like I'm disappointed with how the club has handled this because Seamus is a modern icon, like, from my opinion. For Everton Football Club, like he's someone who embodies the football club in a way that we haven't seen since the likes of Leighton Baines or even Tim Cahill, you could say. You know that kind of um, kind of echelon of players. You know, so it's just disappointing for me the way it's been handled, to be honest. Like, Funny you should mention Tom Davis because <laughs> as as have put out there a lot, he is the right
3: back in waiting for me. I think he, I think he can play. I think that's where we should put him. I- I think the Everton team is better with Tom Davison in it. Got to play right back. Get him in at right back.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure at this point if this is a, an ongoing joke now or an actual serious crusade. I,
3: I have been completely serious about this from day one. I think he's played there before, hasn't he? I think when he first broke into the team, he had to go at right back. Honestly, for me, he's got he's got everything you need to be a good right back. And I think if you, if you play him in the middle of midfield, it's a position that can overwhelm a player who's not got... He not brilliant at one thing, which he isn't, but he's decent to quite a few things. Stick him right back. It's an overrated position for me. Any fool can play right back. I played left back. Anyone can do it. It's dead easy. <laughs> Just on the left back issue as well, I think the club have been really, really unlucky at what happened with Thierry Small um, because he would naturally have been next in line. And if he'd not been so impatient to sort of go away and get first team football, whether he will at Southampton, who knows? But if, he, if he'd waited... You know, you could have got game time this season. He could have got 13 football. It's just unlucky that a 16-year-old player has got that much of an inflated opinion of themselves. He might be that good. I don't know, but it seems to have a massive, massive opinion of yourself to want 13 football or 16 being a left back when you've got the France international left back ahead of you. I think the club were unlucky, uh, but um, yeah, TD 26 right back. <laughs>
0: has anyone got the number two shirt? Maybe we can give it to Davis. Could be the start think, of it. After Morgan Schneiderlin,
3: to be honest.
2: Oh. Holgate had did didn't he? Did have it, Holgate have it two seasons ago and then switched to number four? I think Holgate's had
0: it. I don't think anyone's got the... the also Kenny got it, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Let us none know. Of us, <laughs> none of us are really squad number nerds, are we? I don't think. But but yeah. It's just, I, I, I sort of feel like maybe this season, this season we're not going to see fullbacks bombing on around the outside of wingers that much. So maybe that's why they've just sort of thought we can just plug a centre back in there. But, you know, in the same breath, if if you're playing Ben Godfrey or Mason Holgate at right back for a sustained spell then that's one less player you've got to cover at centre back or one less player to cover at left back in the case of of, of Ben Godfrey so it, it does leave you light all over the pitch and maybe that's why people like Jared Bramford uh, have stayed here as well but um, Wait, there's,
2: there's one you're forgetting one player yeah. one man Fabian Delph <laughs> <laughs> this is time to shine this is what he's here for all along
0: Elf at life Elf at left back. Davis at right back. Come on. He I, played. You, you know. he played left back in the the team with the record Premier League. <laughs> you played left back in the team with the record Premier League points
2: total, didn't he? So you know. <laughs> that's a left back. That's not a left back. That's like a, I don't know. That's like a, a left wing forward in, in other teams, isn't it? Like.
0: Yeah. Just, just, yeah. I I just cringed that um. Uh, will watched that city documentary when he signed. I thought we need bit of that in our dressing room. And pff, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's chat about that the better. <laughs> Let's have a chat about some other things. Les Rodriguez is still here. He was um. He was on the training pictures today. Um. Lovely little shot of him, sort of not quite in focus, while Salomon Rondon and his, his immaculate barnet was in focus, uh, in the background. But um. He still here. He's not gone to Turkey or Portugal or any of the other uh, nations where the window was still open. Um, he's had a nice holiday, like I said, in my beefer on his yacht. I like he did a bit of vaping out there as well to sort of chill out. <laughs> um, but he, but he's here till January at, at least. I mean, Everton have got to find a way to use him, haven't they?
3: Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm made up. I think the idea of him going to the Turkish League did my head in because it. It would be such a... I'm not going to say no disrespect to the Turkish league because it's not going to be very good, is it? He's too good for that league. You know, even injury problems and fitness issues, notwithstanding, he is too good for the Turkish league. And it would have been a horrible waste to see him leave Everton to go and play out there. So, um, yeah, I'm made up. I think, you know, there's reports that he didn't get him up and he says it Real Madrid. You know, we've been through all that. There's reports that he picks and chooses his games or whatever. That's all just conjecture. I think now he's here. He can be the difference in a lot of games. You know, you look look ahead to Monday night, that's going to be a dog of a game. Make no mistake about it. Back at um when we played them at Turf Moor last year, I think we drew one all. He set up what should have been the winning goal, what Sigurdsson put it wide. Um, you know, he, he can do that. He can be the difference in games against the top sides, games against sides that are going to camp in like Burnley. Um, and yet, you know, if Benitez doesn't like him, he's got to put this aside. I think he said to Paddy on the um, subs weekly, Benitez is a pragmatic manager. The problem is, he's also a stubborn manager. Um, I think he's got to use him. You know, he's here until January, at least as you say, and he can be a very, very, very useful player. He's got to find a way to get him in the team, at least, you know, at least as a sub or something. He's got to be in there.
0: Surely, sir, so. it's in his interest as well, isn't it? Because there is a World Cup coming up in you know, just over a year. He's going to want to be part of the, the Columbia squad for that. I haven't fallen out of favour with, with the new manager there recently. Um, he is ultimately a footballer and he'll, he'll want to play football. Um, so surely it's going to be in his interest. And I don't really think we've got any sense from what's been reported or anything from the club that this is a, a lad who's sort of completely cast out and doesn't want to be here and has sort of thrown a st- stop and train. It seems like he's happy. It seems like he's ready to work and, you know, if you just get off Twitch every now and then a little bit more, <laughs> uh, we, might, we might be able to see him on the pitch of it. But, but Everton, have, like I said to Les, Everton have got a, a wonderful world-class talent there and it'd be a bit, bit of a shame if he didn't tap into it, wouldn't it?
1: It'd be a massive shame. I think, you know, last season, even those moments, moments of magic that he produces, you think the game at Anfield as well, that little ball through to Richarlison, the, the things that he just does... Like Les says, he could be the difference. You think of a game against Burnley, if we're struggling, could he come on and pick that pass in the last minute or cut through the defence with something? He is. It's James Rodriguez and the thought of a team being better without having him there, to me, is just a bit obscene. Um, And like Les said, I think seeing him go and play in Turkey when he's got the chance to play in the Premier League it just it just doesn't seem right. I'm happy he's still here. And like you said, I think when Carlo left us, um, I think most of us kind of in our heads then made peace with the fact that that meant that would be the back of Hammers Rodriguez. And actually, you know, he's not thrown his toys out the pram. He's not kicked and screamed and slagged the club off or anything like that. Um, even Meen has posed the other week my penny to stay or whatever. And he's got him, Charlison and, and Hammers, and you just think, like, you know, he must be happy enough to be here. And as you said, it's a premier league. He's at a good club in the, I know after Carlo leaving and stuff, we're not where we want to be. We want to get Everton back in Europe, but he, he's at a, he's at a big club in the premier league. Um, and let's hope for however long he stays in now, whether it's till January or beyond, I'd imagine there's every chance it will be January. Let's utilize him and, and and make the best of what we've got, at the time we've got with him, and also for fans, you know, I just I'm made up that Evertonians now are going to get to see Hammers Rodriguez play at Goodison Park and at Everton, hopefully, um, because that would have just been the maddest thing, Carlo and Hammers, no one there to see him, hardly, and just gone. So no, I, I, I'm I'm happy he stays and uh, he's and As I said, I hope that we we manage to see a little bit of him playing, that him and Rafa can. Put their differences aside for the good of football. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had we had eight subs and two goalies in our last game from a possible nine, so to not have them in the squad would would just seem a bit mad. Uh, Alan, first of all, can you give us a, a
2: translation on uh, my panitas? What 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 that means? It's just a Colombian thing, basically. Like it's just like you know, my little breads, like basically. <laughs> but, uh, we, we, like, to be honest, like the Argentinian Colombian accent is just like it's very different, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of the words they use can be different European, Spanish. So, like, a lot of it also is kind of, like, out of, same in Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. A lot of it's kind of derived from, like, indigenous lingo, you know what I mean? Like, our African la- language and stuff like that. So, there's a cool kind of mix of things and different different elements to it, you know? But uh, I think Les wanted to say something. There.
3: Yeah, just on the... Is he James or James? Because remember you saying something about this? That yeah. James isn't actually... I was...
2: Yeah, I remember I was in a car before in Spain with like a load of fellas, we're driving to a football match or something, we're playing football, five-side football. And we had the radio on basically, and in the radio were talking about um, about everything, it was just when Hamas had just joined everything. And they were talking about like Hamas and stuff like this, and they all started laughing, and I was like, what are you laughing at like? And it's so funny that all you English people, English speakers, call him Hamas when his name is James. And we're just pronouncing his name in Spanish, and you're just taking the pronunciation back. So, like, his name is actually James Rodriguez, but like, we have basically copied his Spanish pronunciation. It's a bit like if everyone started calling Andre Gomez Andre Gomez, do you know what I mean? Like, because it's kind of the technically correct term, but like, it's not actually what it is, you know what I mean? Like, but, um, but just on Ham is I hope he can actually figure out who we're playing each week before he does quantitative pitch, do you know what I mean? <laughs> It's is a small aside, like, but, uh, but no. seriously, I think that, like, I think, like, I've learned more and more as I got older and seen players, like, when Tim Cale and Nick Artela left the club, part of my soul died. Like, that's when I was, that was my way in Rooney moment, you could say. I was good when that happened. But, like, I learned after that that basically what it is is that there's not really any loyalty in football. What happens is you've kind of priorities align at certain times. And at the moment, our priorities are aligned when Hamas's. Because Hamas is earning 200 grand a week, 200,000 pounds a week, right? And like, I think with was six goals and nine assists produced last season. Like, we need more than that for lack of money. Do you know what I mean? Like, at the same time, now he's under no illusions that he cannot get a move to an elite of the elite club the way things are. He cannot get into the Colombian squad the way things are, right? So he's going to ha- have a go. Okay, I'm nearly 30 years old now. Do I want to go to, I don't know, to pay for spanish club for an italian club for a german club um for the next two or three years playing the european cup and then go back to Colombia go to mls or whatever make a nice mint or is he gonna gonna go okay i'm gonna accelerate that process and take a step down now go to turkey go to i don't know qatar and then go to the mls after that so i think if he decides the the former and he's he still has some competitive juices going he's gonna say okay one season here i give it all play to a higher level, show sure, I still have what it takes, get into the Colombians cover 2022 and get a move then next summer, if that's what you want, you know, um, that's, that's the situation. Like, you know, and, and I don't think Benitez has anything against him. To be honest, I don't think Benitez is a personal relationship with any footballer, genuinely. I think he's like this emotionless character, seriously. Like, so I would say his feelings personally towards Hamas are more indifference and Hamas isn't the kind of player that he likes. That He doesn't contribute to the team the way someone like Salomon Rondon does, if that makes sense, you know? But I think, as we said earlier, like he's a complete pragmatist. So he'll figure out a way to use him in a way that benefits the team, if it does benefit the team. And Hamas being a guy who's desperate to get this last move or whatever, or that last strike of the kind of you know glory with Colombia, he's going to do that, you know? So we might have a very unpleasant to get there in the first place, but it's a very possibly beneficial little uh, kind of yeah, synergy between the club and the player and the manager, you know?
0: Yeah, it's just it's just mad, isn't it? They're all sort of saying James Rodriguez could be an impact sub for everything. you know, go back a couple of years and people wouldn't believe you. But just, just one other thing I wanted to ask you, Alan, obviously, James was in a sort of similar situation in his last year at Real Madrid, where Zidane maybe didn't fancy him or, you know, I don't know what the relationship was necessarily like, but he, he was a player that didn't fit in with the way in which he wanted to play and he was marginalised he didn't play many games. Was 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 there much sense at that point from sort of the Madrid media and, and, and Spanish media that this was a fellow who was not really fussed in training, not pulling his weight, or was the, the indication that he was just sort of cracking on with business as usual, even though he wasn't playing?
2: No, I mean, like, see uh, the thing with the Madrid media and the English media is it couldn't be more different. like the, Madrid, the Real Madrid media and Everton media, you could say, couldn't be more different because, like, the Real Madrid media, and I mean this in a slightly positive way, are probably the most arrogant media in world football. A- absolutely arrogant. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and it's taken a hit in recent years because of the way things have gone. They've lost a few players or kind of anything. Um, You know, the financial might of the Qatari clubs and the Abu Dhabi clubs have kind of, you know, challenged their ability to get the best players. But, like, they just, like, if we look at James like he's some kind of god and you know, we're delighted to have him playing for us, or even Carlo as well, the same thing. Like, they just look at these guys like, they look down on them, literally, like, you know, because, like, it was even when Carlo was pre- uh, presented at Madrid, he was kind of saying, oh, the, everything, the only thing that changes is that Madrid are the coaches, the, the media stays the same. And they do stay the same. And a the Madrid media are properly entrenched in the community, in Spanish community, and in the club. They have very strong contacts within the club, you know? So for them, a player is only a passing thing. I mean, James came in after the 2014 World Cup. He had a very, very good season that first year and just didn't produce after that, you know? Like, they have a squad of something like I guess, 30 players almost in the first team. Like They're not going to waste time wonder, worrying about one player. Like What I will say is that he was never given the Isco treatment, you could say, where Isco was, you know, turning up out of shape, you know, slightly overweight. His kind of excesses were more scrutinized. Hamas um, never had that kind of obvious you know abdication of um of professional duty you could say but um but yeah at the same time he wasn't like garrett Bay. like garrett Bay was always mentioned as being in top physical condition trained like a dog you know he was never like that but uh it also was never like the isco thing so i'd say they never really scrutinized him that much he was never that relevant to them in many ways um but he definitely didn't dumb tools
0: he looked in pretty good, Nick, on those photos on the on the boat, in fairness to him. So fingers crossed he's got some kind of fitness. Uh, but just to, to finish off, Sarah, to have a chat about Monday night, uh, Goodison Park under the lights for the first time for fans. Uh, people listening to the podcast, Sarah, is literally rubbing her hands together. At the prospect of that. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, we, we've had the back of Goodison and that you know, full Goodison in that game against Southampton, which everybody loved. You know, I saw your interview about Abdelai Dekore speaking about that goal he scored and, and how much he enjoyed sort of embracing it with, with the fans as well. And I suppose throughout the season, we're going to have these little moments, aren't we, that, that we tick off. We're going to have the first Goodison game back on the lights. We're going to have the first derby. Have to you know, etc., 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 but this one feels like a, a big one. Obviously, for fans to just you know to, to sense that atmosphere and feel it again, but but for the team as well, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to go ten points from the, the you know, first twelve available, and you know you look at Villa next and Norwich next. Um, it's it's a great chance to get back into winning ways after the international break, isn't it?
1: It is, and you know, like you said, Burnley at ho- Burnley at home, it's going to be a tough game. We know what Sean Dyche and Burnley can play like they can be very very defensive and it might be one of those games that's not the easiest to watch so I think the fact that it is Goodison Park under the lights that should be enough to get the fans up and up and roaring you know it's the first time we've all been we'll have all been back inside Goodison on a night game for such a long time as a at full capacity and as you said the chance to get 10 points out of 12 is massive and I think that helps fans already. And though I know it's only three games in, but to have won two and and drawn in a difficult uh, opponent at Leeds, I think with, you know, everyone's happy. It was very, very controversial, wasn't it? At first, obviously Rafa Benitez coming in was always going to be controversial, but if we keep winning these games and, and keep striving forward all the time and the players that have come in have really shone as well. I think Townsend and obviously Damari Gray has just hit the ground running um, and then some. So We'll see what happens with Rondon as well, obviously reuniting. He's, I think he's been back in training today. But I think, yeah, night game, Goodison Park, Burnley, so we're going to need the fans to like help the team through it. I think we don't want it to get stagnant um, and keep them on that front foot. Let's go for it, attacking, and get the fans up and roaring for it. I can't wait to get back in there, to be honest. And like you said, the core raised goal, the, the energy we all felt inside that stadium then. Let's have some more of that, man, like... We need to get another win. It has to be another win and keep this momentum going. But yeah, buzzing for it. International break, done. Get us back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, Les? I'm really interested to see what the atmosphere is going to be like because we've had that first big game and everyone was buzzing afterwards and stuff and, you know, it's you know, it, there's a real sense of momentum being built in the second half of that. But we've had two away games and the international break. This one's going to be, you know, it, it is under lights and that is exciting, but it's a Monday night. People are going to have been at work, you know, it's starting, as we said, at the start of the show. So it's going to be colder now. You know, it's, it's going to be, I'm not sure if it's going to be bouncy and everyone's going to be really up for it or whether it'll be, you know, a little bit flat and, and a little bit weird. If any game has got the potential to be flat,
3: it's Burnley at home, isn't it? Because that's what they bring to it. They want to make that game flat and sort of like you've got to really dig in against them. Um, I think the thing that go in our favour with this is the fact that I mean, if, if Rodriguez is on the bench or if he starts, that immediately will give everyone a boost because we'll all be looking forward to it. So I think that'll generate a certain buzz around the game. I think this year, I think the way we played against them last year is a template in how not to play against Burnley. And I think Benitez will have looked at that and he, he will not want a repeat of that. I think the first half against Southampton, we saw that the team can slip into those habits where maybe they don't dictate the tempo. But what they did in the second half and what they've done in subsequent games is they dictated the tempo of the game. You've got the players who can be quick on the break and that's all you need at home at Everton. If you've got an outlet, if, if we've got Townsend and grey to bomb down the wing and act, or down the middle of the pitch to act as an outlet, we've got Richarlison, got Calvert-Lewin and we use them properly, dictate the tempo, take the game to Burnley that's all the crowd needs at Goodison. So even if it does fall flat, all it'll take is one break like that, quick break, and we'll be up again. Um, so I think, and I think that's what Benitez has sort of tapped into straight away. He, he's, he's sort of seen that that's what really triggers the Goodison crowd, that and a strong tackle, basically. So I think there'll be plenty of them against Burnley because they use this. So I think it's going to be very, very different to last season. And again, though, it's on the players to get the crowd up for it. It always is. I, d- I don't see it any other way. I think the players they first and foremost dictate how the game goes dictate the tempo and then the crowd get on board and then they carry each other but um, yeah I think we've got the players and the managers to to do that this time
0: Yeah for people who don't listen to, to Mailbag, uh, Les will be about 10 on the Rafa graph I think at the, at the moment I'm, I'm already about
3: 12 I think yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah uh, <laughs> so yeah but just Les mentioned tackles there Alan and one player who sort of springs to mind in regards to that and I actually have quite negative memories on from this game last season is, is Alan, who got absolutely skimmed by Dwight McNeil before he you know popped that one in the top corner for, for about 30 yards but you think about that version of Alan and, and the way in which this version has started this campaign and they feel like two completely different players don't they?
2: Yeah totally totally I mean I think it's like the human element is important too sometimes I think when a player has a full summer behind him um, and he didn't play for Brazil this summer either so he'd complete summer off it makes a big difference, I think, you know, I mean, I saw they went to, I think, Disneyland in, uh, in Paris with his, his family and his wife and his kids. So he seems to be enjoying his life here, you know, and um, he seems to make good connections in the dressing room. And he's, you know, affirmed that he's going to stay he, like because he, they also he was one of the, the Carlo signings too. like he was like Hamas. We wouldn't have signed him were it not for the presence of Carlo. Do you know what I mean? And he said, unlike Hamas, distinctly unlike Hamas, that, you know, he's very happy at the club and he wants to stay. I just think that that kind of sentiment, I think he gets it, you know. Like we said it when he joins, he's the kind of guy who celebrates tackles, you know. Like he's literally made for Everton. Like you couldn't get a more Everton player than that. And I think that he gets that, and I think that he's going to love playing in front of Goodison crowd under the lights because, like, I know it doesn't scream enthusiasm um, in terms of the way the game is set up, but it also what I'm enjoying, what I'm really enjoying this season, is just the occasion of games. Like the Leeds game, for instance, I absolutely love that game. Just to, Not just the actual game, but everything went around with it, you know? Because like in England, the way the fans react to the game when it's in progress is unlike anything else. Like in Spain, they're singing along in the background, that kind of stuff. And it gets almost kind of rhythmic and forgettable almost in many ways. Whereas in England, especially in grounds like Goodison or Anfield or, you know, Highbury back in the day, the crowd are completely plugged into everything that's happening on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? Every single time there's a a challenge the crowd get up every time there's a quick chance of a counter-attack the crowd get up you know small things like that make a huge difference and now that for the first time in a long time we have a nice cold monday night get a couple of quick pints in after work a bit of frost in the air you could say dark before kickoff it's savage like it's unbelievable you're not, you're not really you're not really selling this mate. to be honest <laughs> <laughs> i'm buzzing i like it's it's English football at its best. Do you know what I mean? That's what we love it like. That's what we love the Premier League like. You know, and like I think someone like Alan will realize. Okay, welcome to the Premier League, as uh, Martin Tyler said. Do you know what I mean? Like because you're playing as Burnley, you know the most quintessentially English team there is. Like, um, it's going to be slightly cold. The crowd will be full. There'll be a bit of tension in the air. It's going to be good. Like I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, should be interesting. Obviously, Monday as well. Be i have to enjoy the entire weekend without having to worry about it until Monday night anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's it. We are out of time today. Uh, if you do some predictions before we go, Sarah, what's it going to be on Monday?
1: Oh, go on. 2-1 Everton.
0: Toffees. Les, what about you? 2-0 Toffees. And Alan? 3-1 Everton. There we go. I'm going to go Scabby 1-0 no win. <laughs> Ron (laughs) down off the bench Ron down off the bench (laughs) to score from a Rodriguez corner yeah Yeah. yeah. love a bit of that yeah glancing in with his immaculate bonds absolutely (laughs) Uh, but yeah that's it that's all we've got time for today Uh, thanks very much to Sarah Les and Alan. Uh, use your stuff over on the Blue Room Extra if you want to come and join us there. Patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. And kick a ballot to be out later this week with Rob and Mark as well. So looking forward to this to that. Well, that's been your weekly show. We'll speak to you again soon.